Hello, beautiful person of the planet Earth who has found themselves yet again listening to Playtime. Thank you for listening. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Andrew Barnett, and I am a play therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a podcast dedicated to children and play therapy coming at both of those things from a child-centered perspective. And before I get rolling, I want to mention that there is yet another episode on the Patreon. This is an answer to a question from Patreon that I just decided to record something for and post over there. So uh, yeah, check that out if you're in the mood. But let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic for today is the shadow side, the dark side of empathy. And I'm coming at this from the perspective that literally everything in this world has a shadow side, and we certainly celebrate empathy. And I myself feel that empathy and being in tune with the people around us and being sensitive to what's happening around us can help create a better world, is an important part of being a person, is a skill, ultimately that we would all like to develop and cultivate. And so this discussion of the dark side of empathy does not take away any of those elements of what makes empathy an important part of being a human, but literally everything has a shadow side to it. We could even, you could even take happiness as having a shadow. If you extend happiness, if in this happy state you don't have any edges, you don't find any rough points, you don't have any struggles, and then as a result of not being able to hit those edges, you also don't have the opportunity to grow, don't have the opportunity to be faced with a challenge, to be faced with a difficulty of any kind, and then to rise up to meet that difficulty, to evolve to meet that difficulty and in that process have cultivated a new part of yourself. And I think we can see that, like a depiction of that in entertainment or something would be like Pleasantville or Get Out or some, like, so this suburban thing where everyone's really happy and everybody's smiling, but it hides this, like, deep darkness. I grew up some in suburbia in my life and can attest to, you know, the truth of that, that there is a pleasant veneer that hides a shadow. And so I think we all know that about happiness and empathy can be placed in that category as well. But even if we take something like the DSM, the DSM does not hesitate to classify, say, like a narcissistic personality disorder or something like that. Someone who's sociopathic and saying that a lack of empathy makes a person mentally ill. But I want to raise up at least another way of looking at the DSM where there are diagnoses inside of the DSM that could result from someone being over-empathetic. Now, when I say over-empathetic, what I mean is maybe too focused on other people's experiences, too caught up in other people's emotions, not not boundaried enough in the self, not being able to recenter and reground inside of the self and being a little bit too connected to what's happening around you. You could argue that someone with a borderline personality disorder can struggle at times with over-empathy, being too connected to what other people are feeling and not connected enough to their own self. You could argue that someone with an anxiety disorder is a little bit too focused 
on what other people might be thinking or feeling at times, depending on what their anxiety is about. And less connected and grounded in their internal experience of like, I'm all right. I know what I'm feeling and I'm all right. I'm boundaried and I'm all right. And I honestly think you could continue that list for a little while in terms of diagnoses that could be seen as someone being over-empathetic, which makes sense. Being out of balance with anything can be harmful to the self or is harmful to the self. And so let's dive a little bit deeper then into the dark side, the shadow side of empathy. I'm going to admit something. I used to buy in 100% to the idea that another person expressing a desire to know about my emotional state meant that they were empathetic and therefore developed in some kind of a way. In reality, I just like it when people ask me how I'm doing. But I name this to say that when I first started as a therapist, especially when I was an intern, I would see some children, and sometimes children who I expected to be really struggling, right? Maybe I'd gotten some information about this child and was like, wow, we've got some trauma here. We've got some some difficult things in the like preliminary notes that I would receive about this person and be like, okay, this could be tricky. And then I would find that that child asked me a lot of questions about myself and would seem to be really in tune with how I was doing. And I would mistakenly think to myself, oh, this child is actually doing rather well in many respects. Like, yes, I can see that they're struggling, but they're so connected. They're so empathetic. And then in my heart and my mind, I'm holding up empathy as like, it's a good thing. It's not just a thing like all the other things. It's a good thing. And therefore, I extended that to say that, okay, this child's in a good place. They're in an all right place. In continuing to work with children, I found that the reality is actually much different than I just described. That one of the hallmarks for me of a child who is really struggling with trauma is that they're hypervigilant with me. And they, they can sometimes hide it pretty well. Sometimes sometimes not, right? Sometimes you can tell that a kid's sort of like keeping an eye on you because they're, they're scared. They're scared. Or even if they're not scared, it's just their sort of default way of being when they're alone with another person. But I can find with these children that say are focused on how I'm doing and have a lot of questions for me that they're trying to find some solidity and safety through those questions. They're trying to find some balance through those questions. They're trying to feel safe again, to hear some answers that might help them feel safe. They're trying to regulate. They're trying to gather information. They're anxious. And then I have found that with those children... When they get to a spot where they come into the room and they just like, we're going to be playing this and they're sunk into their experience and they're not really that concerned with how I am. They didn't ask me how I am. They didn't ask me a bunch of questions about my life. They didn't try to figure out a whole bunch of things. And there are times when children ask questions from a genuinely curious place, right? You can, you can feel it inside of yourself. I've had to cultivate the ability to at least to lean into my knowledge of when a child asks something and it feels like it's coming from a curious place or it feels like it's coming from an anxious place. There's a felt difference between the two. But I'm talking about the questions from an anxious place. I'm talking about this that place that a child can be in when they're over-focused on what's happening around them. They're over-focused on the adults in the room. They can't, they don't have feel like they have the capability in that moment 
to just sink back into themselves, sink back into their own feelings. Because the reality is, they're safe and they're comfortable, and they have freedom in the space, but it doesn't feel like they're free in that moment. It feels like they're locked in to trying to build safety through those questions, and obviously we meet them there, right? We meet them there. We don't judge them for being there. We don't try to get them off of that place. We accept them. We witness them, if you're a therapist. But for many children I'm working with who are really struggling It is the naming their emotional state, naming the state of their body, naming what they're doing, summarizing what they're doing, reflecting the feelings, engaging with them as they present themselves, verbally or through play, in whatever way they are presenting themselves. We bring them back into awareness of themselves. And even let's even take the kids out of this. So Something that I've struggled with with as a therapist is allowing my clients to feel their own feelings and not feeling those feelings for them. I thought that that was a good thing to do. I thought that empathizing with them, that being there with them in their feelings was important. But I've had times in sessions as a therapist where I've cried. That's embarrassing to admit because at the end of the day, why am I crying? It's not my tears. I'm not sad. I'm just with this other person in their sadness. I can witness them in it, be there with them in it. That's enough. When it makes me sad too, that's, in, that's not where I'm at my best as a therapist. That's me being over-empathetic, allowing the feelings to wash over me, being a little bit too focused on their experience, and then therefore not allowing the other person to have their experience. The over-empathy on the part of the therapist, at least in my experience as a therapist, gets in the way of allowing the other person to fill up the room with their emotions. It's not our job to be big. It's not our job to be feeling those emotions. We allow the client's emotions to have space. And I think that the like tracking especially, like right? Like we we in play therapy, if you're a play therapist, you're you're pretty consistently naming the child's experience for them to return them to themselves, to return them to themselves. And I've found that helpful for myself as a therapist too, to have things that return me to me. One thing I do, I think sometimes when I uh, am in this over-empathetic state is when I'm a little bit anxious, right? I want the client to know that I'm there with them. And so I'm trying too hard. I don't feel at peace in some way. And so even disconnecting from the child for a second, sinking back into myself and saying something like, The self is peace, I am myself. The self is me, I am myself. For me, those are just little simple sayings that I could just say once or twice to myself. And even just after just saying it now, it's like, I feel peaceful. I feel peaceful. And I also feel me. And I feel what I'm feeling. Just like a little trick. Snap your fingers. The self is peace, I am myself. Bam. Back inside of myself. Obviously not that fast, right? Because it doesn't, <laughs> I don't think it works as well when you do it that fast. But I'm naming that to say that when I feel that return, that's when I feel at my best. It's not when I'm in this over-empathetic place. And then I wish to the love of, you know, for the love of all that's good that we that we stopped trying to get children <laughs> to like, I, I hear all the time from so many people. It's just in the culture. It's in the soup. We all, we love empathy. But people saying like, you know, like, you got to pay attention to how that person feels or what's the look on that person's face or da 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 and, and, like, that's often not helpful for regulating a child in their experience. If they're more connected to themselves, they will be more regulated. When they're more connected to themselves, they like, we are the receivers for empathy, right? If you're in a 
dysregulated state, like da 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 da, and you're asked like, okay, focus on these things outside of yourself. It's it becomes more dysregulating, right? Mindfulness, mindfulness as a practice teaches that focus on your breath, focus on your body, focus on your sensations, get back in touch with your receptor, your body, yourself. That is the receptor for empathy in the first place, getting focused on external things, especially as a child, right? As adults, maybe we can do it. If I'm feeling dysregulated and someone is like, focus on this thing, I don't, I don't like it. I get mad at them. I don't want them to do that to me, to my, to my energy in that moment. Maybe that's me being dramatic, right? I don't actually like act all of that out because I'm an adult. I can hold all those things inside. But I name all of that to say, That when we say to kids, hey, focus on how Susie's doing or can't you like you need to be looking at the teacher at all times. You got to be you got to be focused on all of these other people. And it's like, yeah, that's actually not that helpful for getting them to ultimately focus on other people. You have to go back in to the receiver that is yourself be regulated, and when you are in a regulated space, you are just more receptive. You notice more things. You notice the people around you more. You have more space for yourself and others. But it's through returning to the self first. And I think a place that I can get insecure with this podcast is that I can feel like I'm just sort of repackaging a thing in a different form and then making a podcast about it again, which is true, but it's also not true. And the way that it's not true is that I feel like I've talked about empathy before. I feel like I've talked about boundaries before. I feel like I've talked about returning to the feelings before. I think I've talked about being a witness for children's experience before. I've talked about all of these components that make up this thing before. But the more that I engage with these things, the more children that I meet and learn from, the more that I grow myself, my relationship to them changes. The way that I see it changes like a little bit. It feels like another piece of light is opened up on this whole like, how do we help and serve children thing. And I named that all probably from my own neurotic place of feeling like I need to have like a really cool original idea every time (laughs) that I make playtime or something. But it can be difficult for me to know if... A given episode of playtime is something that I made because it's actually like a helpful part of child therapy that I've discovered or if I'm just in my own space of changing as a person. And if this podcast is a guide to helping children heal and grow or if it's just my own process and if it matters. But most of all, and we might as well return to the actual topic of the podcast, there is a part of me that really believes that perhaps the only way that empathy is developed is through careful attention and knowledge and finding solidity in ourselves as a a receptor for what's happening around us. And if that is the case, then we got to be really careful how we talk about cultivating empathy. We've got to be really careful if what we're naming is that you should be zeroed in on everybody else's experience all the time. I see way too many kids who are really hypervigilant and are seen as not empathetic, but they are actually very focused on their surroundings, and that's the problem. They're not picking up on things because they're a little bit overly fixated on things that are outside of them. And then they are being asked repeatedly to focus on things outside of them which does not help them cultivate any kind of ability to do that and can actually exacerbate the problems. And we can ground kids in themselves simply by witnessing them. 
If you're a play therapist, through tracking, through summarizing, through being present, through, through embodying that ourselves by being connected to ourselves while we're present with them, by allowing them to be constantly and consistently redirected into their own experience. And that does help them, and that does serve them, and they become more just regulated, they have more flow, and they are more connected to what's going on around them and less reactive to what's going on around them. And that's it for this episode of Playtime. Thank you so much for listening. It has been a pleasure to be living inside of your ears this past 20 minutes or however long this episode is. I don't know yet because I haven't edited it down. It usually goes down by about half. If you'd like to hear three additional episodes with other episodes being released, you know, whenever they get released, head to patreon.com slash playtimepodcast or the support the show link that's in the show notes for this podcast. But it is offered for free and in the spirit of the gift, and I just hope that you enjoyed it and got something out of it to see more of my work which includes the child-centered children's book series head to barnettchildtherapy.com and yep i'll catch you all next time